Hey, I got new headphones. Uh, what are they? The the, the Sony one thousand WX threes or whatever the hell. <laughs> Sick uh, product name. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. It's like they're this soft plastic. I don't know how to describe mm, it. It's like every time okay. you pick them up, it's like ASMR for your fingertips. Oh, that's nice. Welcome to episode 355 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Brian Lovin. And I'm Marshall Bach. Welcome back for another episode. Brian, uh, I think we're going to keep this one kind of short. Uh, you know, famous last words, but... Let's do it. First up, we have our Golden Ratio supporter back in business float. Are you still using spreadsheets to plan your projects? You dummies, don't do that. <laughs> float is a resource management software tool built for creative teams. You can add your team's roles, department's work hours, schedule time off, public holidays, and remote workdays. Also, you can have the truest view of your team's availability. Ditch the spreadsheet and learn more at float.com slash design details. Thank you to Float. Thanks, Float. We also have some new VIPs this week, some very important pixels. Huge shout outs to Hannah, Tristan Scaglia, Kelly Novotny, Nico Lazarus, Eric Stahl, Adam Ho, and last but not least, Chip. I was going to comment on, on Hannah. First name only, no last name. Uh, that is a movie, Brian. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the movie, but she's like a, a little assassin girl, and it's awesome. You should watch that one. Hannah. That's the name of the movie? Yeah, Hannah. I don't think I've seen it. And it's a palindrome. Oh, that is nice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. As long as you do the double N's. Well, I guess the single N would be all the same, huh? Mm -hmm. Hannah, no matter what, unless you drop the H at the end. Anyways, thank you very much for supporting the show. If you didn't know, we are a listener-supported podcast, and that means that you, listener, make this show possible. So we have a Patreon, and when people support our Patreon, uh, that money goes directly to helping us produce, edit, and, and create this show every single week. If you haven't subscribed yet, you can do that at patreon.com slash design details. And for just a dollar a month, you'll get access to a new weekly segment called The Sidebar. The Sidebar is a subscriber-only kind of cool things, but design-specific. And this week, we dig into our first impressions of macOS Big Sur, including the things we like and the things that really kind of suck right now. So if you want to hear us dig into the Big Sur details, go to patreon.com slash design details and support us for just a buck a month and we really appreciate it and it makes the show possible so thank you to everyone who subscribed this week thank you that's patreon.com slash design details okay so marshall you know how in the new ios 14 whenever an app reads from your pasteboard it shows this little toast at the top of your screen mm -hmm. and it's caused a lot of controversy in fact i think now someone is suing linkedin because linkedin was reading your pasteboard like every three seconds then tiktok was reading it every time you typed a couple characters and like uh -huh. basically it just became this way of like discovering all these apps that were looking into your pasteboard and by the way many of these are not nefarious but some of them possibly we'll see how do you know right how, can how you do know? you know exactly like the os doesn't distinguish between good actors and bad actors in this way so hugo tunius tweeted at us and says about the clipboard stuff so apple actually does now have an api that supports apps who are looking for patterns in the pasteboard before they access it. So you could look for like a tracking number pattern or a URL pattern before you decide to sort of grab it out of the user's pasteboard. 
and we'll have a link in the show notes, but Hugo also did a bunch of research into how apps are using this new feature. And uh, we'll have a link to that in the show notes. So if you're interested in digging into this sort of pasteboard snafu, uh, link in the show notes. So thanks, Hugo, for the tweet. And uh, last little note here, speaking of tweets, uh, thank you to everyone who tweeted at Etong from our episode and interview last week. Sounds like a lot of people found value out of hearing his sort of story and, and details about what it's like to design while going through the visa process in the U.S. I know I did. So if you enjoyed last week's episode, uh, please keep those tweets coming and tweet at Yitong. We'll have another link in the show notes to his Twitter account. Cool. All right, we have a listener question. It's been a little while since we've had a listener question because we've had two interviews and then the dub dub. Mm -hmm. So basically like a month since we've done an interview or a listener question. Yeah. All right, this one comes from Rachie Jacobs on our GitHub. Uh, Rachie opened an issue, says, Am I actually meant to be a product manager? Hmm. And elaborates. Richie says, I'm a product designer and I work with very talented designers on my team. I constantly find myself trying very hard to push myself up into higher level product discussions and decisions with the product managers since I feel it's part of my job to not just get product requirements handed down and design them, but to be part of the definition. Mm -hmm. It seems like no one else on the design team really cares as much and are happy to get very specific requirements and flows. So I wonder, is it just my company who doesn't value the role of product designers or is it the state of the industry? Would I be happier as a product manager? Wow. Uh, mm. That is a tough question. Okay, the, the first thing that I think, Brian, is, is would you rather be given orders or to help contribute to the definition of a new thing? Contribute to the definition of a new thing. Me too. I think so too. But not everybody does, right? Some people just want to like... Yeah, I'm good at following orders. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I'm good at... Uh, and if you work with really good product managers, like, they've figured out all the stuff, they know all the metrics, they know all the reasons for why they're making the decisions they're making. Anything you would provide would just be, like, visual recommendations, you know, of like, oh, let's use this pattern instead of that pattern. I, I don't know. I, I find there to be... And this has been true everywhere I've worked. There is an interesting tension between a senior slash lead designer and a product manager because they often sit in the same meetings. They both have strong opinions on product. They both tend to overlap in terms of like execution and road mapping and thinking about like design constraints. Obviously product also thinks about other things like uh, on the engineering side. Anyways, I, I, I do find there is this tension here where the higher you go as a designer, you kind of end up in conversations where you're saying things that kind of sound like things a product manager might say, or you find yourself thinking in ways a product manager mm-hmm. might think. And it, it's probably a little bit different on every team, within every org, within every company, how that tension is navigated. Because I think a lot of times it can come down to like the strength of a personality between the PM on a team and a designer on a team. But anyways, I say all this to say, I think it's totally natural for you, Rachie, to be in a position as a designer where you're thinking at the level of someone who would be called a product manager, like thinking about product definition, scope, like strategy, that kind of thing feels very natural to me uh, to see designers sort of occupy that space. Now, the question will be, are you happy there? Are you enjoying it? Yeah. Do, you, do you like that kind of work? And if the answer is yes, and you also are still able to design, then it sounds like maybe you have a fantastic role where you're, you, you, you got the seat at the table to define a product, and then you could actually go back with your team and design the thing. Mm-hmm. And that, to me, is a dream job. I, I love that sort of intersection. But maybe 
maybe you might find over time the design part to be a little more distracting. Like you'd actually rather just spend time thinking about products. So if that's the case, then yeah, go be a product manager. But I wouldn't worry too much personally about this like trying to find this clear line between the two because I think there's a lot of overlap. I don't know, Marshall, have you had the same experience like working across different teams with with this tension between PMs and design? Yeah, I mean... This is kind of a universal truth I found in my experience, just based on the people that I've worked with, is that mm, everybody has an opinion, Brian. And uh, (laughs) Uh uh, I've also found that the earlier you hear those opinions, the easier it is to incorporate them into your work. If you are just a bunch of PMs in a room by yourselves making decisions, the second that designers see that thing, they're going to be like, "Uh, have you considered this? Have you considered that? Things that you didn't think of as a PM that only a designer might think of. And then if engineers are excluded from that process, eventually when designers are done doing their thing and give it to the engineer, the engineer is going to be like, uh, have you considered this use case? Oh, we didn't think about that because we're just designers. We're not engineers. You know? So like, my preference is typically to have as many representatives of different realms as possible. One engineer, one PM, one uh, researcher, one designer, right? So that everybody can have their domain that they can raise their hand and say, uh, actually, this is going to be a problem. You might not know, but, right? So um, another thing that I think is interesting about this is like, if you want to be a PM and, and you also want to have an opinion on what the visuals look like, my experience has been that designers don't take design advice very well from non-designers. <laughs> I don't know, like like ideas, sure, but like, this button should look like that doesn't usually go over very well. And if, if you want to have that type of input as a PM, maybe you'd be better off doing PM stuff as a designer rather than trying to do designer stuff as a PM. Does that make sense? Yeah. I, I mean, what you're saying is like exposing some human flaws, but I think in a lot of cases that flaw is realized and true that designers want feedback from designers and might not be as comfortable getting that fidelity of feedback from a PM. Yeah. But, you know, if if you're in this situation where you have the opportunity to transition and and the team that you work with can witness that transition, then they know that you are a design-minded PM, you know, like you have right. technical PMs and you have design PMs and like I don't know, businessy PMs. Like there's <laughs> all these different kinds of sort of strata and like if you f- occupy that role of being a design-minded PM, maybe it doesn't make it too hard to give design feedback to your peers. Yeah, those are, I definitely have design-minded engineers that I work with, NPMs, but usually it's engineers that, that are design-minded that I love to work with because they're, they're thinking the same way that I'm thinking and they, they gut-check me on my shit, you know what I mean? A hundred percent. And they care, man. They care about the pixels. Yes, and that's, okay, well, actually that brings me to the next thing on my mind when I was reading this question, which was I got the sense that this question asker maybe feels a little bit of tension around like, I am starting to care about things that other designers don't seem to care about. Am I still a designer? Like that, that's kind of the vibe that I got. Mm -hmm. But I think the beautiful thing about working on a team is that you can have people who give a shit about different things Uh and those different levels of giving a shit sort of all coalesce into hopefully a great product. And so as you're talking about having design-minded engineers or design-minded PMs. And then you have the opposite, like infrastructure-minded engineers and strategy-minded PMs. Mm-hmm. I'm so happy to work with people who give a shit about things that I really don't give a shit about. That way we kind of cover all of our bases. Mm-hmm. So when you're th- working with designers who 
don't care about this kind of stuff and they're really happy to just get like a requirement and a flow and they design the pixels, that's kind of a blessing. That's like a superpower for you. It's like, oh, this thing that you don't want to do anymore, there's other people who love to do that. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Like, isn't it great that you all ended up on a team together? (laughs) Yeah, supplementary, right? Like, it's also very important in picking a partner, Brian. (laughs) And moving on to dating advice with Marshall and Brian. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> well, here, let, let me hit you with this last question, Marshall. What do you do when you and a design-minded PM sort of clash on what you think the design of a thing should be? Um, I don't know that that's ever happened. Um, my PMs usually trust me in the same way I trust them. And I think this is a little, uh, this is where it gets a little sketchy is where when you start stepping on toes potentially of like if I think I can do your job better than you can do your job and your job is like your main job and you know maybe I know a little bit about it but like Dunning-Kruger right um so I don't know they usually don't step on my toes because they trust me and I, and I trust them so I've never had that happen before I don't I don't know um uh, I don't know how I would handle it uh I would probably pretty cool about it. I mean, usually logic and just explaining rationale is enough to get to a good solution in any argument, regardless of whether it's the solution I wanted or not. Like if if you talk through it enough and you consider all the angles, at least you can come to an understanding, even if it's not the, your, your favorite pet answer, you know? Yeah, I agree. And I mean, I, th- I think finding that trust is the most important part here. So hopefully that you're not sort of butting heads or stepping on each other's toes. I think that there is sort of this hidden power that designers have when they get into any sort of, maybe not strategy discussion, but like product shaping or definition conversation, which is that designers, if if you're equipped with the right tool set to prototype things quickly, a prototype can often win an argument. Like when you move out of word land and static mock land and say, okay, let's actually try it and see how it feels. Go to this URL and click around and, and see how it feels that's usually a fast track to like solving a, a debate. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I don't know if you're, it doesn't sound like you're at this situation, Rachie, but this was like a nice little tangent for <laughs> PM and designer relations, which I don't know. I feel like it's common knowledge that there's tends to be some tension there, but it, that's not always the case. I think a well-functioning team can clearly define those roles and people just trust each other that we're all, we're all working towards a unified product vision, I suppose. Yeah. It is the trope, though, right? Like, it's a thing I hear trope, f- yeah. from my friends a lot of like hating to work with PMs, and I'm like, oh, that sucks for you. I have good PMs. I like my PMs. All right. Any ad- other advice for Rachie here? Should Rachie be a, a product manager, Marshall? I don't know, Brian. <laughs> I don't know. I think she should do what is best for her. <laughs> what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think in situations like this, if you find yourself drawn and excited and invigorated by a certain kind of work follow that path but just realize like these things are not mutually exclusive like uh, i think you can do both at a high level uh, as a designer and it sounds like you have a great team behind you that can execute upon it so yeah uh good luck but if we if we miss anything or misinterpreted the question definitely follow up with a comment in your github issue okay marshall should we do cool things yes let's do it i'll go first mine is i got a hat tip gabriel valdivia he is he is increasingly becoming a source of my cool things. Yeah, um, uh, how many hosts do we have on the show again? I forget. <laughs> I thought it was just two, but now I'm starting to second guess no, that. No, Gabe, 
every once in a while, he hits me with with a real gem. Uh, this week, Gabe sent me a website called Folklore.org. And Folklore.org, I'd never heard of this. Have you ever heard of this, Marshall? Nope, but I, I'm reading through the first few lines and I'm already intrigued. Yeah, okay. So here's, here's the byline on the About page. Folklore.org is a website devoted to collective historical storytelling. It captures and presents sets of related stories that describe interesting events from multiple perspectives. But I think that intro would lead you to think this is something that it's not. Um, this is a story or a collection of stories from the tech world. And some of the links that Gabe sent me are like early anecdotes from designers working at places like Apple. A link that he sent me was, it's called Round Wrecks Are Everywhere. And it's by Andy Hertzfeld, who was at Apple in 1981. You, you might recognize that name from the General Magic documentary, mm-hmm. that Andy Hertzfeld. Yep. And Andy tells the story of how Round Wrecks came to be a primitive shape in the Apple ecosystem. It's kind of just a cool little story. So anyways, folklore.org is filled with lots of these stories. And there's you can kind of scroll through the list and see like, oh, here's the author. Here's the year it took place. And uh the products in question, like the Apple II or design or management, and uh, just really go down a rabbit hole here. So there's some fun anecdotes. I'm reading this article. Sorry, <laughs> I got distracted. This is great. I, I will be clicking through this and keeping that tab open. Cool thing, Brian. My cool thing this week is uh, from someone you may know, previous host of the podcast, Bryn Jackson. Never heard of him. Yeah, never heard of him. What an asshole. Uh, he's, he's doing uh, some culinary stuff. And I think he's always had like a bit of a, a, a cooking bug. And whenever we would hang out at his place, he would always like be making stuff and like exercising that. So it's cool to see him now pursuing this with uh, his own, I guess, is it is the name of the company Cult Favorite? I think it's called Cult Favorite. And it's a proper company and everything yeah yeah and so uh, i just ordered this it's the first collection collection number one summer 2020 there are three items in the first collection there's a ketchup a hot sauce and a yellow mustard and uh 60 bucks the packaging on this shit is fucking gorgeous brian have you seen it i have it's beautiful yeah yeah well marshall i can i can do you one better I've tasted all three of these objects. Oh yeah, I've and tasted these condiments. Yes, and they are they are delightful. Uh, it it's like, um, have you ever had like a cheap olive oil and then a proper olive oil, or like a cheap balsamic and then like a proper balsamic? I I don't think so. I don't put cheap shit in my body, Brian. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Not, never back to back like that. No, I don't think so. Okay. Well, let's just say this. There, There's like this world that exists at the grocery store, which is just kind of like cheap shit. And that's why people like to go to farmer's markets and like upscale grocery stores because you just get better ingredients. And, and the magic of these ingredients just changes the fundamental way a thing tastes. Mm-hmm. And when I had specifically the mustard and ketchup, it's like, oh, shit. This is what ketchup is supposed to taste like. <laughs> yeah. So it, it's really lovely, great flavors with like proper ingredients. You won't ever want to go back to that, I don't know, Heinz fucking red bottle shit ever again. Uh, yeah. And is Sarah involved too? So yeah, props to Bryn and Sarah for for these recipes and the packaging and the whole production. It's really impressive. Yeah. Super cool. Oh, you're actually in the uh, thank yous at the bottom, Brian. Did you know that? I don't know why. I think it's literally because I tasted them and said, oh, fuck yeah, that's good. (laughs) (laughs) 
Amazing. Yeah. Anyways, well, if you're looking to buy some expensive ass, but beautifully packaged and well-made condiments from fam of the pod, then yeah, check it out. Colt.supply. C-U-L-T dot supply. Lovely. Let's get out of here, Brian. Uh, all right. We hope you enjoyed it. This has been episode 355. Let us know what you thought. We're on Twitter as always at Design Details FM. If you have your own question for us, hit us up on GitHub and open an issue in the SpecFM slash Design Details repo. Just go to github.com slash SpecFM and you'll make your way there. You can uh, ask us a question that helps us keep track. So big shout out to Rachie Jacobs for asking this week's question. Of course, if you wanted to get the full episode, if you wanted to hear our macOS Big Sur first impressions in the sidebar, be sure you're supporting us on Patreon. We're a listener-supported show, and for just a dollar a month, you can make this show possible. That's at patreon.com slash design details. Thank you so much. Oh, Marshall, we, we uh, had a big week this week. We crossed 256 very important pixels. Oh, shit. Okay. Nice round number. So shout out to all 256 plus of you out there that are supporting the show. It, it wow. really does make this possible. It helps us pull this off. So thank you very much. Yes. Thank you, everyone. And with that, uh, we'll catch you next week. Bye-bye. You know what I thought of when I read out Nico Lazarus's name? Grand Theft Auto 4? Uh, Being raised from the dead? I thought of Kirk Lazarus from Tropic Thunder. <laughs> um, small anecdote here. I'm currently on just sort of a multi-month movie exploration with my parents. Okay. And kind of, you know, bobbing and weaving, figuring out what their tastes and preferences are, figuring out where we overlap. Anyways... I watched Tropic Thunder with my parents. I don't know if that's a good idea. <laughs> I mean, it's a great movie, but I don't know if I would watch that with my parents. Very good movie. I think they kind of enjoyed it, but I had forgotten that the opening words of that movie yeah. are Al Pacino doing the booty sweat rap song. Yep. And it's like very, very vulgar and inappropriate. Yes. And my parents, like first five seconds are like, uh, are we sure about this? <laughs> like, yeah. no, no, no. Just get get through this one fake trailer, and then then you'll kind of get it. <laughs>